Well, good morning, you all. It's an honor to worship with you and to dive into God's Word with you. As we're diving into this book of Colossians, my prayer is, is that it changes us. It comes down deep and stirs up something in here that only God can heal and only God can change. So what I'd ask you to do as we take a look at chapter 3 in Colossians this morning is pull out your favorite sword, your sword being the Word of God, right? Pull out your Bible or pull out your phone and your version app or your iPad or whatever device you have to dive into the Word with every day. And I'd like to ask you to have these words in front of you because the version that I'm going to share with you today is a very cool um, translation of the Scripture from a man named Eugene Peterson. Um, it's a version of the Bible that you'll find in your version app or even if you Google it online called The Message. I love the way he puts the scripture in such an understandable form. So what I'd like to do is actually read chapter 3 of Colossians with you in the first part of chapter 4 this morning, and then whatever version you prefer, have that version in front of you. Here's the main reason why. None of us in the room, maybe perhaps with the exception of Marge over here, is a Greek scholar. Marge, are you a Greek scholar? A Greek scholar? No, Marge says emphatically no. None of us... Yes, always wanted to do it. Me too, exactly. But neither one of us is a Greek scholar. And so what we do, what we have a habit of doing, is looking at several different versions in English, the language we can understand, so that we can see different perspectives of the Scripture. The reason being is because we are not necessarily studying the original language, and there are different nuances that are presented in the different versions. So the message version this morning gets right into our attention uh, when it says this at the very beginning of chapter 3 in the message of Colossians. Paul writes, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. It says, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. What I love about this so much is that this letter is a bit of a love letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. Now, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, if you've been around, Colossae was destroyed by an earthquake somewhere around the year 61 or 62 A.D., And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, a church that he had never actually been to. He'd never visited before. But a disciple or a student of his had planted this church after coming into the faith under Paul's instruction. And we know that Paul would have written this letter a year or two before the entire area was rocked by an earthquake and utterly destroyed. And again, we don't know what happened to the church in Colossae. But what Paul was trying to do with this letter was two or three major things. One of them was to establish the supremacy of Jesus. He talks about how Jesus made everything. And some of us are challenged by that idea. The idea that Jesus is not only the savior and redeemer of the world, but he's also the general contractor of the world. The scripture says that all things were made by Jesus and for him. And so the Apostle Paul was writing under house arrest with his assistant Timothy to this church in Colossae before they would have their lives rocked 
to keep their minds on heavenly things, on things above, and not necessarily to have their minds on things right here on ground zero at, at earth level. Why would that be important? Because for them, in a couple of years, the earth would shake. All of their life would come into question. And they would need their faith for the next steps they would take, either into eternity or into recovery. And it's the same with you and me. When life shakes us to the very core, we need a solid foundation upon whom to stand. And that foundation is none other than Jesus. So I share with you these words this morning from the message because I love Eugene Peterson's passion for what he says Jesus' word is through the Apostle Paul. Let me read these words again. He says, uh, right in the middle of verses 1 and 2, Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, a ground that would shake. Absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. The action is around Jesus. See things from his perspective. And in verse 3 and 4, the Bible goes on and says this. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, the life you live inside is with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with God, the scripture says elsewhere. Your life is safe in God's keeping. He goes on and says, he is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity. The Bible says, be content with obscurity like Christ. You know, there's a life that we live, you and I, that is above the surface, a life that everyone can see. And then there's an inner life that is below the surface. And just like an iceberg, most of the iceberg is below the surface, isn't it? Most of you and me are also below the surface, aren't we? And yet God calls us to have all of ourselves live in Christ the part that is seen by others and the part that is hidden within. It is that part, along with the part that's seen by others, that God calls to himself to own, to love, to cherish, and to claim. Paul goes on in this version of the scripture when he says, Your old life is dead, your new life which is your real life. Let that life be content with obscurity. Now, what does that mean? What is Eugene trying to say in the words of Paul? He means that there is an inner life that you live that is the most important life of all, of you. That is the most important part, the inner life. The inner life affects everything you do where? In the outer life, doesn't it? And so the inner life is designed to be claimed by God, to love him, to rest in him, to find peace and comfort in him, and to find strength in him. And when that inner life, the one below the surface, rests in God through Jesus, then the outer life begins to change. The outer life takes on a different kind of life. It's like this. 
Paul goes on in verses 5 and 6 and says, that means killing off everything connected with that old way of life that you used to live. He calls it out uh, piece by piece here. He says, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger, the Bible says. Other versions of scripture call, call it wrath. You've heard that term before, the wrath of God. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. The reason being is because when we come into this life, we come into this life depraved and separated from God by sin. And so our natural inclination is to do stuff that God said don't do. And our natural inclination is also to not do stuff that God said to do, like love your neighbor, like love your neighbor even when your neighbor doesn't deserve it, like love the neighbor who lives in the same house with you, like love your neighbor who works with you in the office down the hall. Like, love your neighbor, the one who's actually your neighbor in your neighborhood, who throws stuff out of their yard into your yard. Love that neighbor, too. And the neighbor in your house who leaves their dirty socks on the floor for you to pick up. You love that neighbor as well. And love that neighbor who uses the kitchen but doesn't clean up after themselves. Love that neighbor, too. Because that is your neighbor as much as your neighbor is across the street. As much as that person is down the hall. As much as the stranger you meet on the street is the neighbor in your own home. God says love that neighbor too and put off all the old stuff that would separate you from your neighbor. Paul goes on and says it wasn't long ago you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. A bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, and dirty talk. Now, I'll admit before you today that one of my biggest vices is bad temper. Sometimes when I work, first wake up in the morning and I got, I'm facing a day where there are some difficulties ahead, it tempts me to be in a bad mood. And it is God who redirects that temper because that temper comes from the flesh of me who doesn't want to face whatever that difficulty is during the day alone. But it's always Christ who comes back around and says, you don't face that day alone. I walk with you. And I'll walk with you in this day to meet this day's needs. To be there for you in this day's troubles. When this day's ground begins to shake I will be with you and walk with you in that. And it takes my bad temper, my irritability, and redirects it and reboots it. Does that mean we as Christ followers are perfect? No, far from it. It means that when we are tempted to be the old people we were, Christ reminds us of the new people we now are. People who live in him. People who cherish him. And want the things he wants. And seek after the things he seeks after. The Bible goes on in verse 9 and says, Don't lie to one another. 
You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it, his brand, his design. All the old fashions are now obsolete, the Bible says. Words like Jewish or non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free, mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ who trusts in him, who believes in him and follows him. You may remember uh, the story of the prodigal son. What do you remember about that story? It's a son who leaves home and does what? Tell me the story. So where did he get the wealth he squandered? It was his dad's inheritance. Now was his dad dead? No. So his dad was still alive and he asked for inheritance, right? Which if you're a child and you ask for your parents' inheritance before they die, that's kind of like saying, I wish you were dead, right? And takes the, the, the wealth that he had been given by his gracious father and goes away somewhere and does what with it? Basically, all the list of stuff that I just read in the scripture, right? He went down like a job description and did all that stuff. He spent all that money, like a third of his father's estate, doing all the stuff we just listed. Now, at the time, it probably felt really good, all the stuff he was doing. But then as the story goes, the, the son finds himself in need because he had spent all his money. Right, He didn't do Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. He spent all his money on stuff that was just up in that list we read, and all of a sudden, he was depraved and completely penniless. And the Bible even says that he wanted to eat the stuff that the pigs he was tending in his new job left behind, the corn cobs that they would nibble on, those pigs, he was, the son was so hungry that he wanted to eat those. Now, can you imagine your dinner being an old, slobbery corn cob that a pig just tossed out? That's what this young man wanted for dinner because he was so depraved and without any help. So he found himself having a change of heart and running back home to his dad. And the Bible says this about the father. As the sun was coming kind of over the horizon, where the father was looking out and could see the sun, the father didn't in his pride wait for the sun to come all the way home. What did the father do? The scripture says. He ran, which is something fathers back then didn't do. He dropped his pride, the pride inside him that is hidden, and he dropped his pride on the outside, which was public. The under-the-surface stuff he dropped. And the on-the-surface stuff he dropped. And he ran like the devil was after him to get to his son who had come home. And the Bible says this, as he welcomed his son back in to his family, the son wanted to become like one of the slaves in the family. He also had humbled himself because his life had fallen apart by his own hand. 
But how did the father receive the son? The Bible says he put a ring on his finger. He said, let's prepare a party. And then he took his own robe and wrapped it around his son who was dirty, filthy, smelly, depraved, and utterly consumed by his own sin and wrapped his beautiful cloak around him. And when he did that, it was as if he said to the whole community around him, this is my son whom I love in him. I am well pleased. He was wrapped in his father's love, just like you and I are in Jesus. Just like you and I are. We are wrapped in Jesus. It's like Jesus is a cloak. It's like he's a cape, a coat. He encircles us and and enwraps us and he changes us. He changes the inside as well as the outside. The Bible goes on in verse 12 and says this, chosen by God for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. And what is that wardrobe? It is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is that wardrobe. The Bible says, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, Discipline. Now think about Jesus and see if it lines up. See if the concept of Jesus lines up with those words. If you think Jesus is compassionate, say amen. If you think Jesus is kind, say amen. If you think Jesus is humble, say amen. If you think Jesus has quiet inner strength from his father, say amen. If you think Jesus is disciplined, say amen. You see how this works is Jesus wraps around us. And as he does, the inside of us changes. The Bible says, be even tempered, content with second place. That obscurity we talked about. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Jesus embody love? Say amen. It's your basic all-purpose garment, Eugene says. Never be without it. Never be tempted to take that cloak off and expose yourself. But always be wrapped in Jesus. And as you are following him, wrapped in his love, you'll always have him. He will always be there for you. He will always be there with you, around you, protecting you, keeping you warm, keeping you safe. Scripture goes on in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. One of my favorite pieces of music ever is a Star Trek soundtrack, a Star Wars soundtrack, rather. Star Wars soundtrack. Yeah, shake your head with me. To not Star Trek. I like the Star Trek soundtracks. They're not the same as Star Wars. Can you sing a little bit of it with me? So, so that tune was written by a guy named John Williams. Do you guys know of John Williams? He also wrote soundtracks to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Jaws, dun, 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 dun. He's, he's the guy behind that. All these other famous movie soundtracks that we'll never forget, right? Can you imagine John Williams 
after having conducted the London Symphony Orchestra and the Star Wars soundtracks, all 10,000 of them, however many there are now, right? Can you imagine him standing up in front of an empty room and conducting in the beautiful style that he does and there's no one there to conduct? Or can you imagine him playing one of the instruments in the orchestra, sitting out in the seats with no conductor and with no people in the seats to play with? Now, in the musical world, that's called playing a solo. And solos can be beautiful. But imagine if that instrument or that conductor combines with a whole room full of talented professionals under the mind of a creative genius like John Williams, like Jesus, the Son of God. And then they all begin to play together in concert. This is what Paul is getting at. This idea of not going off and doing your own thing, but keeping in tune with each other. When you sit in an orchestra or with a band, if you're the one player who plays out of tune, do you stick out? Oh, yeah. Especially if you get up to the level like the London Symphony Orchestra, if you're playing out of tune, everybody's just going to be like, really? Professional here, come on, get in tune with the rest of us. And when that instrument is tuned with the rest of the room, what does that sound like? Under the creative mind of a genius, it sounds like genius, doesn't it? This is the church in its best form. Under the creative mind of a genius named Jesus, all of us playing in tune. All of us cloaked by Christ, surrounded by him, protected by him, loved by him. The scripture says, let the peace of Christ give uh, keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house, this house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. This is a picture of John Williams on screen today. I don't know how long John Williams is going to live, but the day John Williams dies, you're not going to hear from me for about a week. That's going to be a tough week for me. Because the first musician to capture my heart back in the 70s was John Williams. And imagine how Jesus has that same power over the music of your life, bringing you together with others with whom you can play the music of life under his constructive genius the Bible says, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And then he gives practical advice. He says, wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in love in ways that honor the master, in ways that honor the master, not in ways that honor their husbands as master, but in ways that honor the master, Jesus, and then to husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Sacrifice of yourselves. Don't take advantage of them. Live with them with Christ's love. 
Children, likewise, do what your parents tell you. Let me say that again. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. And yet, he says to parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Give them direction. Give them love. Give them a firm hand, but not too firm. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. What is he saying? He's saying when you're at work and you're challenged by having a boss or having a work structure that you know doesn't care about you, remember who it is you really report to. The master who loves you, Jesus. And that will change the way you see your work day. Now let me ask you a question. If you go to work and struggle and you only check in with your real boss once a month, yet you're going to work five days a week, sometimes six? How encouraged do you think you will be facing a difficult work circumstance without checking in with the master first? Most of us know that that can be difficult because we've all done it. All of us have done it. But if we check in with the master, the one to whom we really report first, Every day, he gives us the encouragement and the reminder that it is him we serve. And it helps us to deal with the one at work who is difficult. That is our neighbor too, remember. The one who at work is difficult. The Bible says this in closing. Masters, those who have workers or have servants, treat your servants considerably. Uh, considerately, excuse me, considerately. Be fair with them. Don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. This is my favorite part of this reading today. The scripture says in verse 2, chapter 4, Colossians, it says, pray diligently. Spend time with the master, in other words. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us, those who minister in the word, that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. He says, use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Listen to this carefully. This is us. This is all of us. Don't miss a trick, the Bible says. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The old word says seasoned with salt. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down and not cut them out. It's the idea of even when you're with people who don't know God, you make them feel as though they do. Make them feel as though they know Jesus because they can. Make them feel as though they understand the grace of God 
because it's there for them too. Serve them. Treat them kindly. Now, it doesn't mean to stick around and be abused in a relationship. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this. When God brings people of peace into your life, people who may or may not know him personally, and those people like you and want to be around you and want to hang out with you, be Jesus to them. Share the cloak with them. Show them what it's like to have a life under the surface that is healed, along with a life above the surface that is healed. And that is the way that God will share his love with them through you. Now, V talked earlier about a series we're doing in September called Go to Grow. Go to Grow is about God taking South Naperville and germinating the seed of who we are and growing it into a growing, fruit-producing plant. We're going to dive deep for the next five weeks into how God has called us and equipped us with the people who are already in our lives to see his kingdom grow in us and through us. It's going to be an exciting month. So we do ask you, prioritize Sunday morning, just like you did today. Put that as the number one place on your calendar, Sunday mornings, 10 a.m., above and beyond all other opportunities, all other things that could come along and be fun to do instead. This is going to be fun here. We're going to grow in the Lord. We're going to learn how that cloak works and how it's shared with others. So as we close this message, as we close this series in Colossians, my prayer is that these words are an encouragement to you, that they will bring healing to you, that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt whose you are. You belong to Jesus He's already cloaked about you. And as you realize that and remember that each day in your life, when the ground shakes, remember on whose solid ground you stand. It is the ground of a supreme, perfect, powerful, all-knowing, and yet loving, merciful, peaceful God. And his name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Just to say the name of Jesus is power. Whether our society sees value in that name or not, when you trust in and know Jesus, to say the name is power. And so we trust in you, Jesus, as the one who holds all things together. You are our cornerstone. You are the one who lays the foundation of our lives. You are the one about whom our lives rotate. And so, Christ, we know and acknowledge before you that there are times when we don't trust you. We trust other things, and we remove the cloak that's been so freely given to us by our Father. And we expose ourselves to a world that means harm to us, spiritually and otherwise. But let us remember, because of your grace, we stand forgiven and loved and cloaked by Christ Let us remember who he is and who we are. We are your beloved children who've returned. And because of your love, because you ran, because you gave, we are healed and whole. So we trust in you, Jesus. 
We love you and we thank you. And we worship you now in the words of a song. Help us to remember who you are. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.